You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in, in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he has predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and glory of his grace, with which he favored us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our wrongdoings, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he set forth in him, regarding his plan to the fullness of the times, to bring all things together in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him... We also have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things in accordance with the plan of his will to the end, that we who were the first to hope in in the Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed You were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of the promise, who is a first installment of our inheritance in regard to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Please be seated. Uh, Before we dive into Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 12, I want to ask a question that I believe that this passage answers, and I... and the question is this, what does it mean to be saved? Have you, ever, have you ever been on the receiving end of that question? Hey, are you saved? Have, are you born again? Maybe that's another one you heard. Some of you know that I used to, shortly after I became a Christian, I, I used to participate in, in a lot of street evangelism in Philadelphia. I, would stand, I was one of those guys. I would stand on the corner and I would be shouting or reading passages in the Bible or just telling people they need to repent and believe. You know, I was one of those guys. Now, I'm not sure that's the best mode of evangelism. Uh, I did get to see some people give their lives to Jesus, but, but I also made a lot of people angry. It was on South Street in, in, in Philadelphia. Um, think of Pearl Street in, in, in Boulder. Uh, it, was, it was similar to that. And, and there were different ways, different, uh, ways that I would, uh, or things that I would use, uh, technique, I don't know, technique's a bad word, but uh, there are systems that were used that people put together to help you share the gospel. I've used all of them for the most part. You have the Romans Road, where there's a series of uh, verses in the book of Romans to help somebody see the scripture and hopefully lead them to Jesus. There is the Way of the Master, uh, which is another way where you use the Old Testament as a way to introduce people to their need for Jesus. There's the good news, bad news. Let me tell you about the bad news, and here's the good news. Uh, I actually use that quite often. I still use it. 
And then there's evangelism explosion, which is another way of uh, sharing the gospel. You know, they're known for the question that kind of leads the, just introduces the whole conversation with, um, with a question. You know, if you were to die today, do you know for certain that, uh, you know, if God asked you, why should I let you into my heaven? Do you know, do you, do you have an answer for that? You know, so those are different ways. And all of them are, are geared towards or motivated by uh, uh, trying to get somebody who you're talking to to make a decision for Jesus, which there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Like to, to help them along the way to get them to decide, hey, am I going to follow Jesus or not? Do I, need, do I see my need for a Savior or do I not see my need for a Savior? And we think that once a person, once a person, you know, comes to the conclusion, I need Jesus, and and they, they maybe pray some kind of prayer reflecting, uh, re- reflective of, of their newfound belief in who Jesus is, that that's what it means to be saved. And uh, I want you to know that based on what we read in Ephesians, that's only part of what it means to be saved. What Paul does for us, what the Apostle Paul does for us in these verses as he is he shows us that, that, yes, if you're a Christian, if you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, not just because you believe some facts in your brain, but because you really genuinely embrace Jesus as the only means for the salvation of your, of your soul, and, and you believe in him, like, yes, you are saved, but you are not fully saved yet. And what I mean by that is, is there's so much more than to being saved than the forgiveness of your sins. It's certainly part of it, but there's so much more to it. And, and so that's what we're going to, going to see in, in these verses. What I love about Ephesians verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, is that here we see that the gospel, the gospel is that we get God. That's the gospel. Not that we get to see our relatives. Maybe that might be true. Uh, when we get to heaven, not that we uh, get to experience an eternity without pain or suffering, although that is certainly true, but the gospel is that we get God. And in these verses, we see a God who is triune. He is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and each person of this triune God is involved in our salvation. The Father planned your salvation. The Son provided your salvation. And the Holy Spirit, which is next week's sermon, applied your salvation. All three are very, very involved. There's a person on Facebook, somebody asked the question, you know, if I have, if I have friends who, who reject the, doct- the doctrine of the Trinity, what are some verses I can share with them aside from the gospel, you know, John chapter 1 or some of the other passages? And I said, how about Ephesians chapter 1? verses 3 through 14. God has been involved, and if you're a Christian, he's been involved with, in your salvation. And so what I want to do is I just want to unpack uh, verses 7 through 12. I want you to see how amazing this grace uh, is, that is for those who have received it and is for those who it's available to, this grace that is only found in Jesus Christ. And so I have a... Uh, <laughs> I was going back to my Baptist roots. Uh, there are three R's, three R's. I'm going to three three R words in God's plan of salvation. I'm going to just share them with you. There's redemption, regeneration, and reconciliation. I'm going to explain what they mean in case you you, you don't know what they all mean. Uh, I'll explain what they mean, but we'll spend most of our time on reflecting on what's re, what does it mean to be redeemed. 
So my first point is this, is that God's plan for redemption is by Jesus. It's by Jesus. To be saved is to be redeemed. To be redeemed is to be ransomed. To be ransomed is to be freed from the captivity of sin. To, to, to redeem something is to reclaim it or to take it back, that which has been taken away or held captive. That's what redeem means. So if you're a Christian, you have been redeemed. Uh, so what does that mean? One person said this, that sin, both our personal sin and the sin nature we inherited from Adam, takes away the righteousness God intended to characterize our lives and holds us hostage to Satan's purposes. And if you're a Christian, what Jesus saved you from is that. He saved you from that. So, so how is this redemption accomplished? Through the blood of Jesus. Through what Jesus did on the cross, period. It's not something we could have done. You're not a Christian because of your pedigree uh, or your social status. You're not a Christian because you grew up in a Christian household. If you're a Christian in this room, you are a Christian solely because of the fact that Jesus died on the cross in your place for your sins. He rose on the third day validating everything that he accomplished on the cross. That's what it means to be a Christian. And so your redemption is owing to one person and one act. That one person is Jesus, and that one act is that he died on a cross that we deserve in our place for our sins. And that's good news, friends. Like, that is, that is really good news. I, I, this might sound a little academic. I, I don't want it to, but I, I feel like it's important that you know this. There are three... So the New Testament was written in Greek, and there are three Greek words that can be translated redemption. And so it's helpful to understand like, how these words are used. So I'm just going to share them with you. You don't have to memorize it or remember it. I just want you to see just how amazing these verses are in, in Ephesians chapter 1. The, the one Greek word is agorazo, which is, means to purchase. It means to purchase or to, or to buy in a marketplace. This is what happened. Listen, Jesus purchased you when he died on the cross for your sins. He, he made you his. If you're a Christian, you belong to him. His cross redeemed you. It purchased you. That's, that's the one, one word or one Greek word that can be translated redeemed. The other word sounds kind of like it. Uh, exagorazo, which means to buy out of the marketplace. So not only did Jesus purchase you, but listen, if you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross is that he purchased you out of the slavery of sin. You, you, you tracking with me? Like he purchased you out of the slavery of sin. So he, he redeemed you. He purchased you and he redeemed you. He purchased you out of sin. Like you want to know why, you know, joy seems to be fleeting from you. Like, or, or for the, if you're not a Christian in this room or for those of you who are Christian in this room, maybe all of you, <laughs> that time in your life where it seemed like joy was fleeting from you, you know, every pursuit that you, you, you took to try to find that this joy seemed to kind of escape you is because we were made for a joy that can only be discovered and found in God. You know, sin promises a joy that will leave you empty. It will leave you thirsty. It will leave you disappointed. But what God promises you is that in Jesus, you can, you can experience the forgiveness of your sins and a relationship with him where you'll know the kind of joy that he intended for you. So, so those are the two ways the, the, the word redemption is used in, in the Bible. He purchased you and he purchased you from uh, or out of slavery uh, to sin. 
there are two verses, the way this is used. I want, I want you to see this. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, let's read this together. Ready? Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you have been bought for a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Jesus bought you, Christian, Jesus bought you, so therefore glorify God with your body. You no longer belong to sin, you belong to Christ. And because you belong to Christ, this is why you should say no to sin and yes to him. So that's, that's one way that it's used, and some of you are familiar with that verse. How about Galatians chapter 3, verse 13? Let's read this one. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So he redeemed you from the slavery of sin. You, you tracking with me? It's, it's really important to, to kind of wrap our minds around this. And here's the thing. Neither one of these words is used here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In him we have redemption. There's a different word that's used for it. Um, but because he purchased us, you know, and because he bought us from the slave market of sin, we belong to him. You've been adopted, according to verse 5 of Ephesians, you've been adopted as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself. Uh, but the third Greek word that's used for redemption is this one, lutrosis, which is, uh, this is so cool. This, is, this means to fully liberate. This is so much more than you just believing in Jesus. It includes that. It includes these two, but it, it's more than that. It is, it is not only uh, am I saved from my sins, not only have I been redeemed um, from, from the slavery of sin, but I am redeemed in the, in the fullest sense that, that this body that's, that's, that's breaking down will one day not break down. I'll experience a resurrection. That, that my redemption includes, or my salvation includes, there's a day coming where I will no longer need, have the need to cry. There's a day coming when, when the word goodbye will be deleted from the human vocabulary. This is what this means. It, this means the, the promise in the Bible where it says God is going to make all things new, where we, the Christian, will one day experience a physical resurrection like the one Jesus experienced, and, and the, the, the resurrection that the earth will experience where God will make all things new. That's the redemption that's being talked about here. I am saved, but I am also being saved. So it's, it's a really, it's, like, it's, it's fascinating. Like, think about it. Jesus saved you to not only reconcile you to, his, to, to God the Father, but he saved you and he is saving you because he loves you too much to leave you as you are. Like he's changing you. If you're a Christian in this room, God is changing you. He is molding and shaping you, and all of that is moving in a direction, and that direction is will culminate in, with a resurrection and all things being made new. And then, then when we experience that day, when we experience that day, then you'll be able to say in the fullest sense of the word, I am saved. I am saved. It gets better. Oh, oh, we'll continue to work our way through this. The kind of redemption that you have as a Christian is one that includes not only the forgiveness of your sins, not only the freedom from slavery to sin, but the eventual freedom from the tyranny of disease and death 
the promise of a physical resurrection, the resurrection of an inheritance that can never be destroyed, that never again will be stained by sin, and will never ever grow old. If you're a Christian, that's, that's what's promised here. Let's go to the next slide. You'll, you'll see it, how it's used here in Ephesians 1, verse 7. In him we have redemption, necrosis, through his blood, the forgiveness of our wrongdoings according to the riches of his grace. I mean, think about that. Like, how do we have it? Well, it's in him. What's the way that we get it? Through Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross. Like, how much of it are we going to get? Well, we're getting all of it because it's according to the riches of his grace. Think about it, like, like the riches of his grace. How rich, how, how, how vast, how deep are his riches in terms of his grace? It's, it, you can't measure it. It's like sticking your cup under Niagara Falls. It just keeps running over and over and over and over and over. It's unending. That's what we, we have received in Christ. That's what it means to be, to be redeemed. Which leads me to the second point, and these, the second, my second and third points are much shorter, and that is God's plan for regeneration is in Jesus. Now, what is regeneration? Regeneration is simply this. Uh, let's go to uh, Ephesians chapter 2. We, we've looked at this already. I, wanna, I want you to see it again. And you were what? Dead. You can say it, right? Uh, and you were dead in your offenses and sins. Verse 4 says, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, in case you're wondering what dead is, uh, made us alive together with Christ. You want to know what regeneration is? Regeneration is simply this. You who were spiritually dead, God has made you spiritually alive. That's regeneration. It's a supernatural work of God that only God is able to do. God did it, and he made us alive together with Christ. In John chapter 3, we don't have time to go into John chapter 3. I just can write it down and check it out sometime. Jesus had a conversation with a guy by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was, was a Pharisee. He was, like, he, had the, he was an expert of the law, uh, the Old Testament law. Jesus and Nicodemus had a conversation. And in that conversation, Jesus said something to him. He said to him in verse 3 of chapter 3 in the Gospel of John, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So, and then Nicodemus' response was, Oh, wait, hold on, hold on. How can a, a grown adult go back into his or her mother's womb? That's impossible. And Jesus, Jesus said to him, Wait, Nicodemus, you are a teacher of the law and you can't connect the dots here? Hello, like, I'm paraphrasing, like, this is, like, more than what's in John chapter 3. Like, you should be aware of Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, that the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and, and, so you can love him and obey him. You should be aware of, of the prophet Jeremiah in the book of Jeremiah chapter, chapter 31 and 31 and following, like where God promises that he's going to do this supernatural work in his people so they can follow him and, and obey him. You should be aware of Ezekiel chapter 36, where God promised he will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and a new spirit he will put in him. That's what I'm talking about, Nicodemus. It's a supernatural work that only God is able to do. And then later on in that conversation, in, in verse 6, Jesus said to Nicodemus, that which has been born of flesh is flesh, and that which has been born of the Spirit is spirit. That whole conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus is what it means to be, re, to be regenerated, to, to, to experience regeneration. When God regenerated your dead spiritual soul and made you alive with Christ. Only God can do that. 
Like the way a person is born again, the way a person is saved, is through a supernatural miracle that only God is capable of doing through his spirit. Period. Like if you are here and you are a Christian, you are here because you experienced something radically supernatural. God took you who were dead and he made you alive. And how did he do it? Through his son. I said last week, like last week, verses uh, 6 through through, uh, uh, 3 through 6 was, I said, was probably one of the more difficult verses of Ephesians for Christians. I don't think they're difficult, but for some Christians, they find them difficult because it uses language like choose and predestined, and those are like trigger words for some Christians. Like, you mean, you mean, what does that mean for me? Like, how, how does that play into my will? Visit last week's sermon online and if you missed it. But the point is this. I said, I said last week, I said, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you have to acknowledge, based on Ephesians chapter 1, that when it, came to who, when it comes to who took the first act, who made the first act, who took the first step, God did. God did. Why did he do it? Because you and I were dead in our sins. That's why. And so, so Jesus had this conversation with Nicodemus, and in that conversation, he was highlighting, this is what it means to experience regeneration. Only God could do it. Only God could do it. Uh, and a good picture of regeneration is, is uh, a vision that the prophet Ezekiel had in the very next chapter. So in, ver- in chapter 36, the promise was made, God will, circumcise, or God will remove your heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh. In Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel has this vision. He has this vision. And where is this vision? It's in a valley. And what's scattered throughout this valley? Dry human bones. So he has this vision, and it's called the vision of the valley of dry bones. You can read about it in Ezekiel sometime. But uh, in that vision, Ezekiel is, is told by God, I want you to preach over the bones. Preach over the bones. Preach to the bones. And then he, he, the description of what happened next was, as the word of God went forth, the word, as the word of God went forth, the breath of God filled the bones. And, and so it's like pretty descriptive. Then, like, uh, muscles started to develop around the bones. The bones came together, and, and then you had, um, you know, ligaments and all kinds of stuff take place. It almost sounds like a horror movie, right, if you're, like, experiencing the thing. Creepy. But at the end of the, the, end of the vision, they're standing as hu- full, full human beings, fully alive. And at the end of that, that interaction that God had with Ezekiel, we read these words in verse 14. And I will put my spirit within you. Let's read this together. Ready? And I will put my spirit within you, and you will come to life. And I will place you on my own land, or on your own land, I'm sorry. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and done it, declares the Lord. Like, when Jesus was having this conversation with Nicodemus, he's like, didn't you read Ezekiel 37, Nicodemus? You are an expert of the law. Clearly, you know what was written in Ezekiel chapter 37. All of that, all of that is a picture of regeneration. And, uh, and, and so I get that from verses 9 and 10. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he set forth in him. Who is the him? Jesus. Accor- regarding his plan of the fullness of times to bring all things together in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. Now, to, uh, just to... Uh, to be transparent with you, like I did not get the word regeneration. I didn't pull it out of these out of these two verses, but the point is that. So, 
here in these verses, verses 9 and 10, we're, we're told that all of history is moving in a direction. All of history is moving in a, in a direction, and that direction is leading to all things being made new. We're told in, in Romans chapter 8 that, uh, that all of creation longs, it's longing for the revealing of the children of God or the sons of God. What's it talking about there? The revealing is a resurrection. All of creation, your cat, your dog, the birds that, that hang out in your trees, like, like, like the, the trees themselves, the grass, like all of it is longing for the revealing of, of, the, of the children of God. What is it longing for? When redemption is complete for, for the Christian, then the rest of creation will be soon to follow. Because the pro, God's intention for, for, for all of creation was that he's going to make it new. He will make it new. It will be like Eden, but it will be better. And, um, and we are the first fruits of what he is doing. And this word mystery, this word mystery that Paul uses here, it's like, a, it's like one of his favorite words that he uses, not just in Ephesians, but other, place, uh, other epistles that he wrote. It's used multiple times in Ephesians. The mystery he's talking about here is, he's, like, he's saying this mystery is not something that's new. It's been there all along. This has been the plan all along. Eventually, this will blow your mind, ready? Eventually, we're going to get to Ephesians chapter 5. I don't know when, um, hopefully before Jesus comes. But we will, we will get there. We will get there. We'll work our way, we're working our way to get there. Um, but when we do get there, it's that famous passage that is used in weddings a lot. I use it in my premarital counseling. When I do premarital counseling, we go to Ephesians chapter 5, um, and, and we just kind of unpack those, those verses. Here's the crazy thing about Ephesians chapter 5. Not the part where it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And not the part where it says, Wives, uh, submit yourselves to your husbands. Not those parts. It's what follows. You know what Paul says after he describes the institution of marriage? What he describes is, he says, Look, I'm going to tell you a profound mystery. And the profound mystery is simply this. You remember back in Genesis chapter 2, where God said, for this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father and cling to his wife, and the two shall become, what? One flesh. Paul says, remember that? Well, there's a profound mystery all wrapped up in that. Now, if, you, if, if, if we're paying attention to that, and we look at our cross-references and all that stuff in our Bible, what you'll discover is that Paul quoted the, ver the last few verses in Genesis chapter 2. And you know what he said? He said, those last two verses in Genesis chapter 2 that come before Adam took the bite in the fruit along with Eve and the curse of sin was introduced to all of creation, before that even happened, those last two verses that precede that dark chapter in Genesis chapter 3 is a profound mystery because the profound mystery is this. It is a picture, marriage is a picture of Christ's relationship to the church. Like some of you are like, okay, so how is that? Think about it. Before Adam and Eve sinned, God had already planned for, for marriage to be a picture, a portrait of Christ's relationship to redeemed humanity. That's not in my notes, but I just want you to, I want you to see that. Like that, that's the mystery here. And what's, what else, what is, what, what is the mystery he's talking about in verses 9 and 10? The mystery is that... <laughs> That God's intention was always a better Eden. 
it was always a better Eden. Here, here's the other thing. Jesus and his death on the cross for our sins is not God's plan B. It was always God's plan A. It wasn't like, think about this. Think about how crazy this sounds. It wasn't like in Genesis chapter 1, God was like, oh, this is great. Uh, everything's wonderful. Like God's, I mean, like Genesis 1 is like poetic, like God's singing the song of creation, and it's wonderful, and everything's great. He creates, uh, he creates man, and, it's like, and it's even more wonderful now, and that's, that's day six, and now I'm going to take a break, and uh, so that's the seventh day. And then, then like chapter two, it kind of is more of a diving deep into what all, what all took place during creation. So he gets into the details of that. God, and when we get to chapter three, don't think for a minute that God was, that chapter three comes along and God, like Adam, like ate the fruit and God's like, man, I didn't think of that one. Like, what was, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> I didn't see Adam disobeying me. I didn't see Eve disobeying me. I, what was I doing? I, uh, was I like taking a nap? Like, like, none of that happened. God is sovereign. And, and Paul's like, this is a profound mystery. And verses 9 and 10, and the mystery is that we get a better Eden. And that, that was always God's plan A. That's the point. In him, we also have obtained an inheritance. That inheritance, theologians call it this. They call it the already not yet. So it's, we have the inheritance, but we, have, we don't have all of it yet. Right, so it's it's good as it's a guarantee. Verses four, th verses thirteen and fourteen tell us that, like we are guaranteed, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. There are better things to come, but um, it's the already not yet. But it is as good as though as, as if we had it. Like our inheritance is guaranteed to us. What is our inheritance? All things new. What is our inheritance? God. We get Him. We get to see Him face to face. We fellowship with Him without death. Without sickness without without you know age without any of that stuff that's really good news if you're a christian if you are a christian god has god has regenerated your dead soul to live through christ and the rest of creation will follow suit and it's all in jesus like jesus is the linchpin for all of redemption there are some verses I want you to see that, that, that I think will encourage you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Let's read this together. Ready? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this person is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, the new things have come. Like, what, is, what does regeneration mean? You are a new creation. Think about the implications of that for your soul. You are a new creation. Like Salvation... Or to be a Christian is not just, be, you, you didn't become a Christian because you believe some facts about Jesus. If you're genuinely a Christian in this room or watching the live stream, you, you, it started with a cognitive understanding of what Jesus, what he accomplished on the cross, but it, but it also, was a, there was a connection between what was going on in your, in your brain and what was going on in your heart. And, and, and the result of that, in the process of all of that, you're alive in him, and now you are a new creation. You are a new creation. This is why, like in, in uh, the epistle, 1 John, there's so much energy that John, John spent in just over words of just trying to get these Christians to understand that if you, if you are unwilling to forgive your brother, then there's something wrong with your vertical relationship with God. Because if you truly have been regenerated and you've been made alive in him, 
then your horizontal relationships will reflect that. It doesn't mean you have to go bowling with everybody that's like messed up your day, right? Like, but what it does mean is that you see that person as someone who's created in the image of God and that what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross is sufficient to take care of that person's sins too and to make that person who's dead alive one day as well in, in God's time and in his wisdom. So that's, that's one. Let's go to another verse. Uh, so we saw this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. What does regeneration look like? He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be what? Holy, let's say it, holy and blameless before him. Now it's, here's the already not yet kind of picture. It, positionally, we stand before a holy God uh, as holy and blameless. But practically, we are moving more and more into this direction. We are, look at, we are becoming more and more holy and more and more blameless, practically speaking. It's called sanctification. If you're a genuine Christian, you are moving towards holiness. God chose you and he saved you and he did all the things that we read about in these 14 verses for, to, to do this in your life. That's why I say frequently, God loves you too much to leave you as you are. And if you're still the way you were, before you, placed, you supposedly placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you probably never really believed in Jesus in the first place. And so um, there's that. And then Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. You're going to get tired of Ephesians chapter 2. <laughs> I, I keep going back to it. No, you won't. You shouldn't. Um, but look at this. Look what this says, right? Let's read this together. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Why were you saved? Why did you experience your grace? Why, why did you experience that? For good works that God had already prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Like all of this, this is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to be a Christian. The evidence that your faith in Christ is, that you have genuine faith in Jesus Christ is marked by the kind of desire that loves and longs for Christ more than you, listen, more than you long and love your own sin. And then third, this is, this is really brief, um, Jesus' plan for reconciliation is through Jesus, or God's plan for reconciliation is through Jesus. That's a typo. God's plan for reconciliation is through Jesus. When I read Ephesians chapter 1, I'm reminded, especially these verses that we looked at this morning, I'm reminded of three different parables that Jesus shared. I mean, look at verse 11. In him, in Ephesians 11, ver, I mean, Ephesians 1 verse 11, in him we also have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things in accordance with the plan of his will, to the end that, that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. I'm reminded of three parables that you can read uh, in, in Luke chapter 15. We don't have the time to, to read through those. I'll just tell them to you. Uh, the, the first parable is, and maybe you're familiar with this, is the parable of the shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep in open pasture to find the one lost sheep that's, that's lost. And when he finds the sheep, he, ta he carries the sheep back to the fold and he rejoices over, the, the, uh, over finding that one lost sheep. Remember that parable? And then there's another parable that, I mind, that, that, that these verses in Ephesians reminds me of, and that's the parable of the woman who lost her coin. She lost her coin. She, she turned the house literally upside down to find the, her lost coin. And when she fi fi finally finds the lost coin, she rejoices. 
She rejoices over the lost coin. And then Jesus adds to that, that story, that parable. He says, and so do the angels over, the, over one sinner who repents over their sins. All of heaven rejoices over that. But the parable that I am most, like, the, 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 I'm most reminded of in light of these verses is the parable of the prodigal son. What's the parable of the prodigal son? Well, his father had two sons, and one of them, asked for his inheritance, and he wanted to just live a life free of any moral constraints that, that he would have if he were in the house of his father. So he takes the inheritance, his father gives him the inheritance, and he goes, and he, and he squanders it in licentious living, is what we're told in, in, in those verses of chapter 15 in Luke, in the Gospel of Luke. He, he squanders it. He uses it for all kinds of horrible things. And then what happens? Well, well, what he experienced was the very thing that sin does, right? It promises that which it, it makes promises that, uh, of things that, that, that it can't keep. It winds up, sin always will leave us more thirsty and more hungry and uh, more disappointed. And that's exactly what the son experienced. He, he, his, his inheritance was gone. And he finally got to the place where he said, okay, I... I know I ruined my relationship with my dad. In my mind, there is no hope that that relationship will ever be restored. So this is what I'll do, and this is what he said in the parable. He said, I will set out and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired laborers. So that's, that's his plan. And so he heads back to his dad's house. And as he, as he gets closer to the house, we're told in the parable that his father saw his son in a, in a distance. And you want to know who ran to who? The father ran to the, to the wayward son. He ran to the wayward son and he embraced him. And uh, the son said, you know, I'm no longer worthy to be called your, your son. And and this is what the father said. He said, but the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Meaning, Give him honor, right? And bring the fattened calf, slaughter it, and let's eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He, has, he was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. That's what I'm reminded of in these verses. I'm reminded of, of that kind of thing against the backdrop of those parables. Just, just, think about it. Just, just think about what these words mean. In him, we also have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things in accordance with the plan of his will to the end that which we who are the first to hope in Christ would be the praise or to the praise of his glory. You know, why did he do it? To the praise of his glory. How did he do it? Through his son, through Jesus. Like, what is our inheritance? It is redemption in its fullest measure. It, it, it's a life regenerated in the fullest sense. It's the eventual freedom from the curse of sin and the inheritance of a new heaven and a new earth. This time the worship team can come up um, as we prepare to close in this, in this final song. But think about, think about what, what these verses mean. Like all of history is moving to that end. When? What is mortal will be swallowed up by life. What is mortal will be swallowed up by life. That's what it means to be saved. There's a day coming where we will be able to say these words with, with the full experience of the truth of these words, 
Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The Christian will finally know what it means to be saved when our redemption is complete. What is written in Isaiah 51, verse 11, will be true of you and will be true of me. This is what it will mean to be saved. And the redeemed of the Lord will return and come to Zion with joyful shouting and everlasting joy will be on their heads. They will obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will flee away. That's what it means to be saved. That's what it means to be redeemed. All of your redemption, all of your redemption, all of your regeneration, and all of the reconciliation that you've experienced with God the Father because of everything that Christ has accomplished on that cross and the fact that he walked out of that tomb on the third day, all of that is owing nothing to what you have done and everything to what Christ has accomplished. That's who you are, Christian. That's who you are. There is no other application or advice that I could give you. I could, have listed, I could have probably given you five different like, points of application. Here's all I want you to go away with. Your salvation is owing only to Jesus and nothing else. Period. And to add to it or to take away from it, this is not an overstatement. To add to what Christ accomplished on the cross or to take away from what Christ accomplished on the cross is demonic. It's demonic. And it's all spelled out for us here in these verses. Let's stand and let's read this one verse before we sing this. One of my favorite songs to sing. King of Kings. Let's read these, this verse together. Ready? For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Amen? Let's sing this song together. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.